I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If we're crazy, then it's true. Hello and welcome to the Kaching with Jane King podcast, a podcast from parents to parents to help us teach the next generation about money. And today's podcast is brought to you by Arc Athletics, a New York City-based fitness and athletic training business. For tips and videos on how to keep your young athletes healthy and injury-free, you can go to arcathletics.com. And with me as always, Kim Mustin, friend, mom, Wall Street executive. Hi, Kim. Good Happy morning. New Year. Happy New Year. Well, I tell you today, Jane, we're in for a real treat. I first met today's guest at a cocktail party and fell instantly in financial literacy love with her. Not only does she have vast knowledge about this topic, I found her approach really to be full of fun, fresh ideas. I mean, real ideas that you can actually use on your kids to become more financially independent. And uh, this is just so exciting because this is something I know that all parents just deal with all the time. So our guest today, Jolene Godfrey, uh, is the founder of Independent Means and the author of Raising Financially Fit Kids and other cutting-edge books and publications related to the financial fluency of families. Uh, Godfrey grew up in a family business in Maine. We just founded an agriculture dairy business. How wonderful. And has been recognized in features for the Today Show, Oprah, Fortune, Business Week, the New York Times, and the Financial Times. So Welcome. Thank Great. you. Nice to be here. So, Jolene, welcome to the show. There is a wealth of information in your book, but today I'd really like to drill into one particular topic, and it's a topic that I get more questions about from parents than any other topic, and that is the topic of allowance. Let's start with what do you think about allowance, and is, that, is it a good practice? Is it best practice for parents to um, initiate an allowance? Can you give us a little bit more uh, thoughts on this? There are lots and lots of ideas out there about what makes a great allowance, and most of them are wrong. Actually, I'll just start by saying my least favorite one is the the tool that says, for every year of age, you give a dollar. It's like, okay, so when oh, I do that, 20, I'm already in trouble. Oh, dear. Well, <laughs> well for we'll one day, week. Well, okay. <laughs> well, and the when they get 35, they get $35 a week. <laughs> <laughs> Therein lies the Good problem. Luck. And and the real difficulty is it's just not grounded in reality. And 
the truth is 10-year-olds have cash flow problems, and they can't work it out how this all works. If I have three birthday parties this month and none next month, wait, wait, how do I do that? And at 9 and 10 and 11 and even sometimes at 14 and 15, these are kids who have not gotten delayed gratification down, so they haven't figured out how to manage cash flow. So one of the things I think that an early allowance can do is give kids practice and language and values and early discipline, but it can also confuse the heck out of them. So I'm pretty careful about how I get families started on an allowance because it is a killer practice tool. So I don't want to get rid of it. I just want to get it moved to be a little more useful. I know that's one of your big goals is to really change the nomenclature and the language that we use, which I think is really going to be a helpful practice for parents listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean by that, changing the language? just The first thing is just talk about money. I mean, a lot of families don't even talk about it. Do you know, 25-year-old women will say to me, well, my family still doesn't talk about money. And that, it turns out, particularly in these days, is just dangerous. You cannot send a kid off to, to school, to independent school, to independent travel, if they don't understand money and how it works and how to talk about it. You simply leave them vulnerable. And, you know, most other parts of life, whether it's sex education or safety, we do arm our kids well. When it comes to money, we just close down. Sex education is a f more fun topic for kids. <laughs> There's a lot of parallels, fun. though, right? I mean, there really yeah, are. There like, really for sure. are. Yeah. Yes. yes, I steal from sex ed teachers mm. all the time <laughs> because they have figured it out. Yeah. So, yeah. What age do you think is a good age to start? As soon as kids start asking. As soon as, as they start talking. As soon as they uh -huh. start talking. As soon as they start to ask, can I have this? That is the moment when you as a parent are most vulnerable because they are the cutest then. And of course, you want to say, well, honey, of course. The problem is you now immediately push them into that loop where it's, if I want it, I can have it. And that, of course, is where it all begins to go wrong. So very early. For some children, it really is three or four. There are studies that suggest that kids are picking up financial messages from us at 18 months. So families who say to me, oh, when they're a little older, we'll stop talking about that. My response is the kids are already talking about it. In fact, one of my favorite lessons is that there was a period of time, and I suspect it's gotten more sophisticated now, where on the first day of school, nine-year-olds will go into the classroom and go to their iPad and check out how much their friends homes are worth on Zillow. And the fact that they even, now, first of all, we all know that's not accurate information. Well, sure, yeah. So our already, home didn't sell for what it was listed out on Zillow. I know that. Exactly. <laughs> when I just bought, sure didn't. But then, what that really means is they're already getting distorted information, but they are already at nine telling us they understand that who their friends are is partly about their money, which is pretty hard. Oh, that's so sad. Yes. So when I talk True, about language, <laughs> what I'm coming back to is how do you help kids understand money and capital in ways that move them beyond just the financial capital of their lives, but into the human intellectual and social capital as well? Because those are really the other parts of family wealth that really are more helpful to be talking about. Mm -hmm. So Pretend like you're you have a three year old, and they say, "I want this doll." How do you handle that? What would you say? 
You say that's a great doll, sweetie. Don't you love that doll? And that's the sort of thing maybe we're going to have to wait a little bit on. If any of you remember seeing the marshmallow experiment yes. on the internet, yeah. every parent should try the marshmallow that's experiment. That's the one where you wait. If you, you, if you delay gratification exactly. on the marshmallow. Exactly. <laughs> so one of the first things you're trying to do with financial mindfulness, if you will, is you are trying to build in delayed gratification. Now, as a parent, that's tough because you're busy, you've got a lot going on, and delaying gratification is delaying your convenience as well. So believe me when I say I know how hard this is. But I also understand that if you can pull this off when kids are three, four, and five, when they're 12, 13, and 14, the tantrum level will be significantly lower. So it's... Well, when my kids show me something, which increasingly is on the iPad, they want this or that. I'm like, let's just wait a couple days and see if you still want it. I think that's because you kind of forget about stuff. You do. I mean, I even as adults, we're like, I don't really want that thing that much. There's another mantra that actually another one of the families I work with taught me, which I use all the time, and that is, "Honey, that's a, a great thing, and we could do it, but just because we can doesn't mean we should." And how do we know when we should? And that's the question that is kind of next in line. How do you help kids figure out the difference between what you can? Because my guess is many of the people listening to this are are saying to themselves, well, my kids know that we have, you know, we live in a nice house. We have They've been on Zillow. They've been on (laughs) Zillow. Exactly. It's incredible. They have that information. So if I say to them, we can't afford it, they're going to not believe me. And so... Helping them understand your values as a family, what you think you will spend on as a family versus how you don't want to go too far into consumption or how there are some things you don't want to go spend money on is where they begin to understand boundaries and and values around who you are as a family. So that's really the second, second line. First is maybe we have to wait, and then the second is because we can doesn't mean we should. So we've already established that I have done a poor job of of creating an allowance <laughs> metric in my household. So can you can you talk about you know how to set an allowance rate and the frequency of pay and just how we should be thinking about that so that I can remediate this immediately in my household. <laughs> so tell me the age. Thank of- gosh, we're having this conversation. <laughs> it's my favorite part. Yes. Um, how old are, is the child we're going to talk so about? So I have a seven-year-old and I have twins that are four. Oh, right. And they've been asking for things since utero, I believe. <laughs> of course they have. <laughs> well, we'll come to the twins in a moment because that actually is important. But let's start with the seven-year-old. Um, one of the problems with the allowance is that it's almost immediately undermined because children have multiple forms of income. And so when you start an allowance, what you have to say is, this is just one part of your income. And Remember, we're now introducing the word income, and that's the moment where maybe on a big piece of paper or on the refrigerator, you actually make lined items. So income is the allowance, which is your practice money, gifts and windfalls, which are any cash that comes in from dad or grandma or gift card or anything. That's another form of income. 
And it's important because what you want to do is get kids thinking very early on about income to be managed so it doesn't come down to my money and your money. That's the first place kids undo you because it's not really anybody's money. It's their income. And so now you think, okay, well, what's reasonable for income? And let's just say for a seven-year-old, what do you think you spend on, I don't know, extra snacks, stuff at the store after school, I mean, extra food that isn't at the dining table or isn't at the restaurant? What do you think you spend? Maybe 12 bucks a week? Let's Maybe, say. yeah. All right, let's say 12 bucks. So we're now up to like... Unless it's summer and the ice cream truck parks outside of school, exactly. which is, should be criminal. <laughs> yeah. But, they have but it's candy. not. They sell outside of school, by the right. way. I mean, they <laughs> popcorn. I know. we got a popcorn <laughs> truck in New York City. <laughs> so let's say we're already up to almost $50 a month just for those random stacks. And then there's the iTunes. So let's add another... $25 a month. I'm making this up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So we're up to $75 a month. Now, when I say to a family, so the allowance should be $75 a month for a seven-year-old, most people stop breathing because that's a lot of money for a seven-year-old. I'm not suggesting you take $75 out of your wallet and put it in theirs. What I'm merely suggesting is that we make that transparent. We say, okay, well, this month, honey, we're going to spend about $50 on your snacks and ice cream, and we'll keep track of it. So that's the first step towards transparency. And if you just begin in those small steps where they're now becoming aware of, A, what the boundary is, it's $50, how long, it's a month, Will I keep track of it? Well, let's say it comes out to $60 this month. Where does that $60 come from? Well, you have a chance for a new conversation. Either you can borrow it from next month, which is going to be really hard for you, or you can say, well, maybe you need to earn a little more income. How are you going to do that? gives you another chance to talk about earnings as another source of income. So what you see is you're really beginning to use pretty what seems like grown-up language. But the fact is kids are able to handle grown-up language as long as it's concrete and makes sense to them. And the truth is what this is doing is bringing visible that invisible allowance they already have. And so you're not saying I'm going to give you $75, sweetie, and 
that's all you have this month because that would be too much responsibility too early on. But you're beginning to give them a sense of, oh, I need to be analyzing and thinking and making choices. And if my mother says I can't use that $75 to have 10 ice cream cones in the first two weeks, maybe that's because she's looking out for my health. And so it really is about language and values very early on, particularly for a seven-year-old. And what about pay increases and um, like bonuses? So I, I kind of model what I do with my kids based on my work experience. Mm-hmm. So I pay them for tasks. So I'm like, okay, clean up your room and you get $10. And then I tell them, and if they take initiative on something, um, they get an extra like dollar. And then I'll give them a bonus. <laughs> Been on Wall Street too long. <laughs> I give them a bonus if they like double check their work and did a really good job. And because I feel like that is kind of how the workplace goes. Like you don't just show up, you have to actually double check and whatever task is that they're doing. So is that, is there anything wrong with that strategy? Is that teaching them something bad? It really depends on the kid. And for the most part, I would say it sounds like it's working in your household. Seems in to be. Some households, however, it, A kid who doesn't have a lot of inner initiative will say, I just don't need the money this week. Never mind. I'm not going to make my bed. And now the parent is in a bind because they made a deal. And okay, so if you, I don't pay you and so you don't do the work. What you're trying to do is help move that child from your external um, rewards for doing things from there to the internal drive Because you're right, those of us who succeed are doing it because we are internally driven. And you need to have some balance between the external and the internal. It sounds like it's working in your household. Yeah, except they start, my son especially is like, he's gaming the system. And uh, so yes. he'll he'll be like, okay, if, if I go to this thing you want me to go to, you have to pay me $5. Yes. He, and kids will game the system. Yeah. And they're so much smarter than we it are. And they're quicker. Like totally. <laughs> so, and I'm, so I've tried to teach them a lesson. We don't get paid for everything. Sometimes well, we just do things. When you make them go to chamber people, music, I'm guessing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's why I like actually saying, look, here are your sources of income. Here's what you earn. Here's the allowance. Here's the windfall. So there are really three sources. And in some households, there may be more. There may be a distribution, which is yet another windfall in a way. And But making clear the allowance is for practice. This is not about bribing you for something. This is, you're going to show me how responsible you are. You're going to show me the skills that you're developing that teach us how much more mature you are. And in terms of salary increases, for me, If a kid is showing you that they can actually live within their income and put some into savings and some into giving, what they're showing you is that they are living up to that responsibility. And now you can give them maybe another category or two for them to to be in charge of. So that's, in a way, an increase. Not an increase just to spend more, but an increase to be responsible for. Jolene, in the book, you talk about... uh, uh, maybe parents starting an annual ritual the night before a birthday. Can you talk about that? Because uh, I thought that was a really interesting way to approach a birthday. Thank you for asking me about that. Not nearly enough people ask me that question. Yes, you're talking about the pre-birthday dinner. The pre-birthday dinner I describe as that moment where you introduce birthday as a rite of passage. So the night before, you go out with the child, not all the children, but the child, 
and whomever is significant as adults in their lives. And the message you are delivering is, honey, tomorrow's your birthday and it's going to be lots of fun. We're going to have cake and you're going to get loot and gifts and it's going to be a blowout. But tonight, what we're going to talk about is the responsibility that comes with being another year older. And what you're doing in that simple way is equating right up front responsibility and privilege. And that is one of the other things that stops parents in their tracks, particularly for children who literally are privileged. How do we manage that? What you do is pair it with with responsibility. Now, I also say in that passage in the book, I think that in year one, it will be very surprising, confusing, and a little annoying. Year two, it will be probably eye-rolling. You did this last year, but you have to stick with it. Year three, you have to do it again. By then, they'll be saying, oh, we do this all the time. By year four, it now becomes normal. It is the tradition in your home. And I think Part of what families underestimate is how much kids are watching the consistency of your actions over time. And I know this because I talk with so many grown-ups who will say, my mother always, my grandfather always, my father always. They are describing to me those things that were core to what their family's messages were as they were delivered to them as children. Yeah. I mean, I've learned so much money lessons from my dad. Um, You know, he was a farmer. He was conservative with money, you know, and he taught me about credit. He came to the bank with him. And I mean, so, and it still lives with me today. In fact, it's probably why I chose this as a career. So, well, it's interesting because what you just described, Jane, is what I think of as a financial apprenticeship for children. Every child needs a financial apprenticeship and you got it naturally we need to start giving it more naturally to our yes, kids thank again. Thank you, definitely. I remember I, in college, they were giving away a two-liter soda bottle if you filled out an application for a credit card. And he was so mad about that. Oh, that's just geez. terrible. That's financially irresponsible. And it was so upset about that. And it just really wow, you know, sunk in. lucky you. So, yeah, <laughs> he was good. So um, you also talk about not using allowance for behavioral control. I think... Maybe I do that sometimes. I totally do that. <laughs> Listen, like, it's so tempting and oh. easy. Um, but, you know, to your point, kids game you. And they get <laughs> they really totally good do. at it. <laughs> they do. So, well, thank you so much, Jolene. Did you have anything else? Can yeah, I just to- had one more thing because I think this is a really important um, point that you make in the book as well. And for our listeners, I can't recommend enough that you go out and get the book, which is available on Amazon and in bookstores nationally. Um, you devoted a big portion of the book on teaching kids how to use money to change the world and how to be a citizen of the world. Can you talk more about that and how you do that kind of at various age ranges? Because we have listeners that have younger children all the way up through kids in college. Um, How do you, how should we be thinking about that? You know, it's one of those things that developmentally you're able to teach kids to be other directed rather than just self-directed and and to focus not just on consumption, but on giving. And again, if you use those words, our lives are here not to just take things, but to give things, what are things that matter to you? And lately I've been thinking a lot about this because often families will say, well, here's $25 or $500, you go give this away. Instead of showing kids that money is easy, just here it is, go give it away, 
My hope is that more families, whether the children are 5, 10, 15, 25, will start inspiring children because we're back now to helping kids think internally what moves me. And so that means exposing children to experiences, to knowledge, to opportunities that will have some connection to them. Um, one of the things we do with very young kids around 9 and 10 is we, we have a program that takes them to, to the zoo and answers the question, what does it cost to actually feed a rhino or a lion or a zebra? Taking them through the process of literally what does it by the way, it's eighteen dollars a day to feed a rhino, uh, and, and they're vegetarians, as it turns yeah. out. But but for very young children, that makes sense. For kids who are twelve or fifteen, take them with you, and you volunteer at the soup kitchen, but take the kids with you. It has to be real and authentic and meaningful. And it has to be more than just go give this money away. Yeah, sure. And it teaches them just all kinds of economic circumstances it that does. people are in, if they're having a difficult time, or although they won't let kids go in until they're 14, at least at in some many of, the places. of these places. Yeah. It's so. true. But what you're trying to do is build empathy. And so look at all the ways in your life that we can, in fact, expose kids to needing empathy. And hopefully in the next four to eight years, that's going to help us all. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. What a wonderful way to end it on a good lesson. And thank you, Jolene, for joining us today. Jolene Godfrey, um, your book is just filled with wonderful information that so thank many you. parents could use. And that book is titled Raising Financially Fit Kids. You can find it on Amazon and other bookstores. And we always welcome your comments. Thank you for listening. And we're hashtag kids ka-ching. So thank you, Kim. Uh, we'll see you next time. We're going to be talking with Ellen Pollack. Uh, she is the former editor of Bloomberg Businessweek about fake news and the parallels of fake news with just being savvy consumers in general. And I also want to give a shout out to Rob Schulte, our producer. So he does a wonderful job on these podcasts. So thank you so much, Rob, and everybody for joining us. And we'll catch you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.